Welcome to the Team Health Podcast Program, Beyond Clinical Medicine, What They Don't Teach You in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is one of our series discussing the opioid crisis, another pandemic we're all confronting. Today, we have guest host Randall Dabbs, who is Team Health's President of Practice Development, and he will be interviewing Marilyn McLeod, the System Medical Director for part of Tennessee's Baptist Health System. She's going to discuss an approach to opioids developed by her group that they call Opioid Light. It's been a very successful program with significantly decreased use of opioids and patient buy-in. And now, Randall Dabbs. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Randall Dabbs. I'm a co-founder, emergency physician, and president of practice development for Team Health. I also serve as the chair of the Team Health Substance Use Work Group. My, all clinicians have experienced the trauma of the opioid epidemic, either in their professional lives or in their personal lives. And as a result, a lot of effort has gone into understanding the appropriate utilization of opioids for acute and chronic pain, and also educating ourselves about the addiction of opioids and the role that we as clinicians play in innocently promoting such an addiction by our prescribing habits. So I'm joined today uh, by Dr. Marilyn McLeod. Uh, She's the System Medical Director for Baptist Health in Memphis, which includes multiple tertiary and rural hospitals in Tennessee and Mississippi and Arkansas. So we'd like to share together an initiative that Marilyn helped create several years ago and is still ongoing today, really for the purpose of improving opioid use in her facilities. Good morning, Marilyn. Uh, Thank you for agreeing to tell us about your program, and I believe you call it Opioid Light. That's right, um, Randall, and it's my pleasure to be here. You know, I can always talk to you for hours, too, so we'll have to be careful with our time. You know, well, while we could talk for hours about your project, Marilyn, we, we really only have a few minutes, so we'll make the best of them we can. So let's get started really with the history of the program and hit the highlights. First, why did you and Baptist decide to create this opioid light project, and what were your goals when you set it about? So, Randall, on my first clinical day there, I saw a patient who had been coming in every month and getting about 60 Percocets um, for a kidney stone that he didn't have. And so that kind of opened my eyes. Um, It got pretty ugly when I wouldn't give them to him, and then it opened my eyes to what what do we practice and how we practice in there. So when uh, pharmacy and I looked, we had a pretty aggressive um, use of narcotics in the emergency department. And we felt like it was a great opportunity for us to work on reducing the opioids we used and also to kind of help with the opioid epidemic that certainly is um, pretty high in Tennessee. Marilyn, who who were the real drivers of the program? I mean, who did you have to go to get buy-in to help make it work? Well, certainly it started with uh, myself and our pharmacy department. We have a great emergency department, uh, pharmacy department. They have residents and students. And so I had a big team to start with. 
and we quickly had the physicians and APCs buy in, um, and then we got nursing to buy in. And then after the whole department was ready, we discussed with administration, risk management, um, what our plan was. That really sounds like quite a bit of work to get it started. But when you think of opioid use in the ED, it can be measured in a lot of different ways. I mean, you know, you can talk about the number of pills. Uh, you can talk about the number of prescriptions written by your docs uh, and your APCs, the strength of the pills. Uh, how did you guys measure the amount of opioids that were used really before the program started and then during the program uh, and, and even today? How do, how do you compare the two? Well, you know, I've never really liked the electronic medical record, but it was life-saving in this measurement. Um, we were able to use a national standard called morphine milliequivalence, um, and it takes the narcotics and converts it to a morphine kind of equals an equal dose. And so we were able to use this so that we knew exactly how much we were given and what each provider was given. And we were pretty shocked when we realized we were at 120 morphine milliequivalents per 100 visits, um, which would be considered extremely high. Well, that makes sense. I, I even know that our controlled substance, uh, the monitoring database that we have in Tennessee, uses MMEs as well to kind of measure how physicians are utilizing opioids. Um, would you mind sharing some of the strategies that you and your team used to accomplish your goals of appropriately um, um, decreasing the amount of unnecessary opioid use in the department? So the first step we took was we developed in the electronic medical record a way for them to have an order set for uh, non-opioid um, clinical scenarios. Because we wanted to make it easy for the physician or APC to to click on an order set and remind them that we wanted to use non-opioids. Um, I think it's really easy for us to get in the habit of just clicking what we've always clicked before. Um, and once we did that, um, we ran the data usage and posted that. So every physician and every APC could see what their use was. And when we practice, we always, as physicians, I think we always feel like we're in the center. We're, we're either average or above average in what we're doing. Um, and so it really opened some eyes, um, even mine, on where we were with our writing, our usage, whereas those that were using a lot would have never thought they were using more compared to their um, peers. Uh, and so very typical when you put up a data like that, you see the physicians and APCs move to the center. And then our whole goal was to move to the center and then lower that bar. And we worked on training um, the wording for physician and nurses so that um, when we talk to patients about not using opioids, that we were able to communicate that in a way that didn't make them feel like we were calling them a drug seeker. Uh, and so I actually, during that training, had studied and, and got some training on my own so I could teach it. And I learned that if I had worded what I said to the first patient, we, it might not have gotten so ugly with him. And so I got better myself at how I talked to patients um, and discussed the opioid epidemic, 
and why we were choosing to use something besides opioids. So we made it really clear to the patient that we would take care of their pain. We were just going to manage it in a different way. I think we've all had that situation as emergency clinicians where we've had an uncomfortable discussion with a patient that we did not think needed an opioid but were insistent on getting one, and sometimes that creates a confrontation. So, So I think you're planning about how to address those conversations is, is, uh, is, is right on. You know, if I were a patient and I were coming in to Baptist Memphis or Baptist DeSoto with a an injury or a migraine headache or some sort of pain that I, that I felt like I needed some pain medicine, and I knew that you had this program where you were trying to, to right-size the pain medicine that I was getting, I might be worried that you weren't going to treat my pain adequately. Did you did you see that happening, or how did that work? We saw it very little. Um, most patients at this point had started to, you know, there were a lot of um, info out there about the opioid epidemic. So when we approached the subject, most of them knew where we were coming from and why we were having that conversation. Um, when we talked about, we had many other medications that worked for pain uh, and that we were going to be there, we were going to work as a team to manage their pain and that they would be part of that team. Um, then we, we actually had very few complaints and most patients um, felt like we were truly working as a team to get their pain under control. We also had pharmacy that was in the ED from 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. and they would speak to all of those patients and um, spend some time talking to them about pain management um, and addiction and, and why we were avoiding the opioids when we could. We wanted to be really clear with the department, um, and even though we, we felt like we were, we still ran into a little bit of we're opioid-free. And we're not opioid-free, we're opioid-light. Um, we felt as a group that there were certain conditions that absolutely required narcotics. Uh, and so we didn't want to say we were opioid-free. We wanted to be opioid-like and to use opioids in a safe and um, appropriate fashion. I think that makes a lot of sense. I know uh, as an ER physician or a PA or nurse practitioner, we all think that we're practicing the best, you know, and we don't, we don't want to believe that we're the highest user or the lowest user, as you mentioned, we're, we we all think we're in the average. But when you when you share this data with your with your colleagues in the department, did you hide which position or which PA was the highest utilizer, or how did you share it with your staff? No, we felt like we were in this together, and nobody was in trouble. This was not a you know. Um, nobody had practiced what we thought was wrong. We had just practiced in what we thought was an older way of practicing. Um, so we did not blind any of the data. Everyone knew exactly which physician or which APC was writing, exactly how much they were writing. Um, and we knew per uh, 100 visits. So if you were a PRN person and only worked two shifts a month, um, we knew that so that they were compared equally and we knew where you fell in the um, kind of in the graph. 
And what we found is um, we really all practiced the same after a couple of months. Um, and if you were the high person, um, I hate to admit it, but you might have got teased or called Candyman for the month, and you were really wanting that next month to come out so your name would go off the Candyman list. Yeah. Well, there, there's a there's a lot of pressure on uh, uh, ER clinicians to have good patient satisfaction scores, especially the pain management question. You know, did you have your pain uh, uh, appropriately dressed? Did the did the clinician do everything they could to manage your pain? So we're all afraid that if we don't give the patient a lot of uh, narcotics then they're going to complain or their patient satisfaction survey is going to be returned in a very negative way, which casts a lot bad light on us and the department. Um, I often hear that clinicians worry that if they don't uh, give enough pain medicine that their patient satisfaction scores will suffer. Uh, did, how was that handled or what did you find at Baptist? Well, we were expecting the same thing. Randall and were absolutely shocked that our that question for us our score went up thirty five percent and as we look back at that um, we think it's probably twofold one we think we spent much more time in the room and you know even myself if I had a patient and I thought they were narcotic seeking but I couldn't figure out how to get out of just giving them a dose I'd give them a dose and then I would avoid the room. You know, and the nurse knew that if she went back in there and the patient asked for more pain medicine, came and asked me, and I said no, that it just was always uncomfortable. And so when we all started practicing the same and avoiding narcotics as much as possible, then we we went in the room more. We worked as a team with the patient and the nurse to to manage the pain better. Um, and it, if we had a patient that we had used the non-opioid medicine on, such as Dordal, Robaxin, and they still were in significant pain. That didn't mean we weren't going to give two milligrams of morphine. <clears throat> so one of the things that we did was we, our stand up, kind of standing order for morphine was four milligrams. So when we talked about changing that to two milligrams, <clears throat> the docs were like, oh, they're going to ask what more, they're going to ask what more, I'm going to have to give them more, I'm going to have to write more. Um, so we agreed to try it as a group, try it for a month and see what happened. And so when we changed it to two milligrams, we found that 85% of the patients we used two milligrams on never asked for another dose of narcotics. Uh, and so, you know, it's only 15% that required a little bit more, asked for more, and that was well documented and pharmacy was able to get us those numbers. So we felt like we had misperceived what the patients wanted and needed, um, and our patient satisfaction scores went up. Um, when we were using the less less narcotics um, because we spent more time with them, we talked to them, and, and we were kind of practicing together. And I think the other thing is that, that truly we may have lost some patients that came to us just for narcotics and who were going to give us a bad score if we didn't give them a lot. I, I think they quit coming to see us. Um, and so that may be another reason that our score for pain control went up. Um, but we were very pleased with that outcome. I think all of the ER clinicians who hear that will be uh, excited uh, and and probably surprised uh, at that result. So that's really good information. 
uh, emergency clinicians frequently use the Controlled Substance Monitoring Database, that's CSMD, as I mentioned earlier. We do that fairly often to see if our patient has had a recent prescription, narcotic prescription uh, uh, field, uh, just to kind of get a feeling of, of, of if they've seen someone else in the uh, in the recent past. Did y'all use the CSMD very much, and, and, and was it of, of value to you? Yes, we used it on every patient. We had pharmacy would help us pull it. Um, my wish and dream would be that every patient that checks in just gets one automatically pulled and put on there. Um, but of course, we just don't have the resources to do that yet. Um, and so we did use that. One of the things that I don't know if if it's just my weird brain's way of thinking, but if I had a patient that had gotten 60 Percocet every month for six months, if I gave them three more days of Percocet, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was changing their life. I certainly wasn't going to hurt them. Uh, now, I still didn't do it, um, but it, I didn't feel like that was as important as those patients that I looked at and had never received an opioid. You know, and I pulled a report for a year and they not had any opioids. And my partners were thinking differently. They, they saw that said, oh, I'm not giving this person that gets Percocet every month any more Percocet. Um, but this one that's never had any, I can give, you know, I can give that patient, you know, four or five days because they've never had any before and they don't abuse them. But my thought process is that if they've never had them and I, I give them a few days worth of Percocet, I could be the one that destroys their life by creating an addiction. Um, and so I actually work harder to make sure those opioid naive patients stay opioid naive. Um, if at all possible. And I, and I think a lot of folks hadn't thought about it that way. And even today when I talk to people and we talk about that, they seem um, shocked uh, to look at it that way, but then it seems to make sense to them when they think about it. That, is, that truly is a great way of looking at opioid naive patients and something that I believe that all of us probably should revisit. <clears throat> what, as an outcome, what's been the outcome what have you seen in terms of the opioid light initiative? What's what have you made progress and, and, and how are you guys sitting now? Well within three months we had reduced um seventy five percent of our opioid use. <clears throat> um we went from hundred and twenty millo equivalents per hundred visits to thirty nine millo equivalents per hundred visits in our last month. That was um in June. We don't have July data yet. That is still published every month, so every physician can see it. <clears throat> we also won a National Safety Award and got a $100,000 grant, so we have a new ultrasound machine that we bought with that money. Um, pharmacy took half of it, though. Um, and then I think we just feel better about taking care of patients. Um, it certainly has continued. We've not had any backtracking with it. Um, in fact, some of the steps that we've done moving forward is we have an addiction medicine fellowship now. Uh, those doctors see our patients prior to discharge. Uh, they set them up for clinic appointments or inpatient care, whichever is better for the patient. And so not only are we able to try and prevent people from getting addicted, 
we're able to offer them assistance if they already have addiction or dependency. And so we're really pleased with how far this program that, that started pretty small has built to be all encompassing. That's pretty incredible numbers and decrease of your MMEs in your department. That's amazing. And I'm sure your partnership with pharmacy and administration has been, has been to that success. You know, Marilyn, if someone listening today is interested in starting a similar project as opioid light, whatever they call it, in their own emergency department, is there any advice from what you've experienced that you might want to pass along? Certainly. It's vitally important that you have buy-in. And I think the most important thing is that the physicians and APCs have to practice in a similar fashion. Um, if you have, you know, 75% of your docs practice in this way and 25% not, then you, you, you will not be as successful as you should be. Um, administration and uh, risk management are kind of the as who handles our complaints, having them on board and them having a, a thorough understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Because we could get a few complaints, um, not as many as I'd expected, nowhere near as many as I'd expected, um, but are the people that manage the complaints um, would respond with information about opioid epidemics and how it's important for us to um, try to avoid opioid addiction and to help do our part in reducing the opioid use. And, and so we truly had support from administration, risk management, um, and complaint management in what we were doing. Because uh, if you if you start this program and then a physician follows it and they get in trouble over it, it'll shut down very quickly. Um, I think sharing the data is so important. Some people would probably blind it. I, I've just never been one to blind data like that, and so I don't. Um, you know, I think it depends on your group and how you manage that. And then the one thing that we did wrong, and there were probably a couple of things, but the one thing we absolutely did wrong is we included all patients in this so that sickle cell patients and cancer patients had a pretty significant decrease in their narcotic um, use, the narcotics that we prescribed in the ER. Um, and, and that was a mistake. We went too far for those patients. Um, and so we had to, even though we kept saying opioid light, um, we, we did struggle with coming up with the right plan for those patients. And so we developed pretty quickly a sickle cell order set um, and a terminal cancer set, practice set, so that we were able to make sure we managed those patients differently. Um, I actually had a nurse call me and say, oh, one of my docs had ordered Dilaudid, and it was a patient that truly was at the end stage of her cancer. Um, and it was I was just a little surprised that they couldn't grasp the difference. And so I realized then that we, we had to make that order set and make it clear as to why those patients were different. Uh, and so that's one thing I, I really wish I had done up front rather than after we started the program. Well, it certainly sounds like it's been a huge success. Uh, congratulations to you and to your team and to Baptist Memphis, everyone else who participated uh, in your opioid light project. I think that team health, through our medical leadership, such as yourself, and our client hospitals, 
I think we're all dedicated to treating acute pain appropriately and making sure that our patients are, are comfortable. But we also need to consider alternatives to opioids where it's indicated to keep our patients uh, from becoming act inadvertently dependent or addicted to a pain medicine. The opioid light program at Baptist is a prime example of how attention, focus to this issue and a team effort can make a huge difference in the lives of, of our patients. So thank you again, and I appreciate everybody listening in to our discussion. Thank you, Randall. Thank you, Randall, Marilyn, and for those of you listening, I hope you enjoyed this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. That's beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.